0: We're so glad that you've tuned into our Rolling Hills Community Church Sermon Podcast. I'm Brandon Billups, and I'm the high school pastor here at Rolling Hills. And as we've been in our current series, Celebrating God's Goodness, we've been exploring the biblical perspective on celebration thankfulness, and God's goodness. We were created to be representatives of Christ here on earth, and that's why it's so incredibly important that our lives reflect our maker. Because when we live differently, we ultimately are showing God's goodness through the way we live. So dive into 1 Thessalonians 4 with us today as we learn what God's word has to say on this very topic. We are so glad you're here.
1: Well, I'm not sure that there's anything I could even add today. What a beautiful morning it has been already to be here with you and to sing and to experience the joy in this place. In fact, I am so overjoyed that I get to be here with you today and so much that we get to celebrate as we continue in this series called Celebrating God's Goodness. But before I go any further, I've just got to know who already has their Christmas tree up. Who's already, okay, a few of you, who's already listening to Christmas music in your house, in your car? A little bit more of you. And where's my crowd that is just kind of anti anything pre Thanksgiving? So you got to wait till Thanksgiving. Okay. I always like to know the crowd that I'm speaking to. So I'll keep my Christmas jokes at bay today because clearly there is more of you in this room that are kind of waiting until after Thanksgiving. But over the course of the past three weeks, we've been in this series called Celebrating God's Goodness. And I, for one, stand on this stage today and say there is so much to celebrate in what God is doing. Uh, Personally, in my life, I could uh, fill up the entire time today to just celebrate the things that I'm sure that you could as well. And I hope that you do not grow tired or weary of celebrating those things. In fact, we've been looking. Looking at this book of the Bible called 1 Thessalonians. And First Thessalonians is a letter. It's a book that is written to a church in, you named it, Thessalonica. And Paul is writing this letter and he's celebrating things that are happening in the life of the church. And so over the past three weeks, we've been looking at some of those things specifically, but we've also been kind of looking at what does that mean for us simultaneously as we celebrate the things that God is doing here in our church, in Nolensville, Tennessee, and the church here in our current context. And each week we've been pulling out some big ideas and some things to kind of take away of how we should live, what we should be celebrating, and today, of course, is no exception. And so for those of you who are here with us for the very first time today, a special welcome to you. My name is Jason, and I get the privilege of serving as the campus pastor here at our Nolensville location. And if you are with us for the very first time, or maybe you're like me and you always need a refresher of what we have been talking about, I want to hit just a couple highlights for you. Because in the first chapter of the book of 1 Thessalonians, what Paul says to the church is that we thank God for you. He says, we always thank God for you. Now, this this book that we're looking at, it's a letter. Paul literally wrote this letter to the church to encourage them, to equip them, to help them in the journey that they are kind of walking through. And so for context purposes, there's a guy whose name's Timothy, and he works with Paul. And Paul has sent Timothy to go check on the church and to kind of see how things are going. Timothy comes back and gives him a thumbs up and says things are going really, really well. They're growing in their faith. And so as a result of that, Paul writes this letter back to continue encouraging them in the journey that they are in. So in chapter 1, he says, we thank God for you. And then in chapter 2, verse 19, Paul says, Our hope and our joy and our crown, so to speak, is you. There is nothing that we are prouder of than what's happening in your life. We're not proud about all of the numbers. We're not proud of all of the metrics. We're not proud of all of the buildings. We are proud of you. And you are our hope and you are our joy. And then in chapter 3, verse 8, we talked about this last week. Paul says that your faith and how you are responding to Jesus is really what gives us life. Meaning that there is life that comes to us because of how you are standing strong in the faith. And so these letters carry weight. You kind of hear in some of these things, sometimes it's very maternalistic sounding, very paternalistic. You know, Paul's kind of speaking to them as children. He's speaking to them. He's shepherding them. He's encouraging them and he's correcting them. And then we transition today to chapter four and chapter four is really no different. It's it's much of the same things that we've been talking about, but I want to kind of jump right in in chapter four, verse one. As for other matters, brothers and sisters, we instructed you how to live in order to please God, as in fact you are living. Now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. Now did you catch how chapter 4 started? As for other matters, this is kind of a strange way to start this Portion of the letter. What that leads to tell me is that it's kind of like a meeting agenda. Have you ever been in a meeting agenda that had four items and item one was really specific, item two was really specific, item three was really specific, and then agenda item number four was called other. You ever been in there in a meeting where category four was other? What are we going to talk about in other? What are we not going to talk about in other, right? I mean, we're going to kind of criticize some things. We're going to probably talk about some people that aren't there in other. I mean, everything. I mean, other is the catch-all category. It's kind of what happens here. What Paul and, and Timothy and Silas are doing is they're getting ready to address some of the things that don't really fit everywhere else. That's why he starts it with, as for other matters. It's kind of like back when I remember I first got my driver's license and one of the first few times that I kind of pulled out of the driveway and you know, your mom is standing on the front porch yelling lots of things at you, yelling things like, be sure to wear your seatbelt. Be sure to call me when you get there. Not on a cell phone, but go find a landline and call me that you get there. Be sure to drive under the speed limit. Wear your seatbelt. I love you. Remember to come home because we have, you know, and all these things. It's just this kind of verbal other because she loves you, and she cares for you, and she wanted to say all of those things. Paul loves and cares for the church, and so there's just a few more things that he wants to bring to them. And so I want you to listen to First Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 1 through 8, for some of the things that Paul brings to them as for other matters. As for other matters, brothers and sisters, we instructed you how to live in order to please God, as in fact you are living. Now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that you, each of you should learn to control your own body. In a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God. And in this matter, no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. The Lord will punish all those who commit such sins as we told you and warned you before. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject a human being, but God, the very God who gives you his Holy Spirit." So he says, "As for all of these other matters we have instructed you, church, on how to live. And even though he's going to address a couple different things here that you're going to see in just a minute in this portion of the letter, it all actually falls under this overarching umbrella that he states in verse 1. Go back to verse 1, As for other matters, brothers and sisters, we instructed you how to live in order to please God. He's saying, "As for all these other matters, what I really want you to understand, church, is that your goal in life should be to please God. These encouragements, these calls to action, all of these things that he's addressing, they're all for the sole purpose of helping the church understand that their life is to be lived in a manner that's pleasing to God, that God is pleased with how they live. So much so, Paul even says, in fact, you're already doing this. We are really, really proud of you for the way that you are living your life. Maybe you're familiar with that old adage, you know, the wagon's in the ditch and you kind of got to get it out. This is not what he's saying. He's not saying that things are going so terribly that we have to course correct everything. He's saying, in fact, I want to encourage you because you are doing the right thing. And this is something we should take note of. Paul is not saying that you and I should only focus on our spiritual life when our spiritual life is really, really bad. And sometimes that's what we tend to think. We tend to think, ah, nothing's really working so maybe I'll turn to Jesus. No, he's saying, I want you to keep Jesus at the forefront all the time. It's why he's encouraging the church. He's saying, as you are doing, in fact, I want you to do this more and more. The church is living right. In fact, he's given them some attaboys. He's given them some pats on the back and he's saying, oh, and by the way, I want you to keep it up because if your life is anything like mine, have you noticed how you can be going in the right path for a long time and it just takes one thing to send you in a different direction, and you can drift somewhere you never intended to be so quickly. It's what Paul's doing. He's saying, I don't want you to drift. I want to encourage you more and more to keep up the good work. We ask you to do this more and more. So what does that mean for you and I today? Well, what it means for us is you see it up here on the screen. And I hope that you'll follow along and fill in some of these notes on that worship guide. No matter where you are in your journey, you always have room to grow. It's what Paul's trying to get the church to understand. No matter where you are on this journey, you always have room to grow See, the journey of life that's before us, it always has a next step. That's why we use that next step verbiage quite frequently here at Rolling Hills. We talk about you taking your next step. And for some of you, that next step might be a step of salvation. You may have never understood God's grace and mercy in your life. And that next step, which is the most important step, would be to say, I want to trust God with everything in my life. I don't want to live for myself, but I want to trust Him. For another person in the room, it might be baptism. It's this outward profession of an inward change. And you may want to say to the world, I do not belong to myself anymore, but I belong to Jesus. It's a beautiful next step. Maybe for you, a next step is serving. Maybe you've been coming here for a while and you've never invested in time in what happens in these places from serving in family ministry to serving in the parking lot to serving up here with the worship team or the tech team. And you say, you know what? I want to take that next step because there's room for me to grow. Or maybe it's partnership and it's coming and joining in with what God is doing or or being kind of catapulted out into the world, serving whatever it might be. But if you can only remember one thing that I say today, let it be this. No matter where you are on your journey, you always have room to grow. It's what Paul's encouraging the church in. Sometimes we buy into this myth that we've arrived and there's nothing else that we can ever really learn or do. In fact, be really cautious if you're always in a room where you're the smartest person in the room. Be really cautious if you're always in rooms of people where you can't learn anything or you don't think you have something to learn from someone else. In fact, that's kind of a disaster waiting to happen in my personal opinion. God has work for all of us to do. God has areas he wants all of us to grow. I mean, think about athletes. What do athletes do? They always push themselves to the next level. What do investors do? They lean into new ventures. What do businesses do? They find ways to expand their business or to get into new markets or to open new stores or to do whatever the case might be, launch new products, whatever the case might be. And when it comes to our spiritual life, it really should be no different. We should always be seeking to say, what is that next step? What is that next part of the journey that God is wanting me to grow in? Because anything that's not actively growing has started a path towards death. Anything that's not actively growing, if it has reached its apex, then the next step in the journey is death. It might be a slow, painful death, but death is... Imminent. So there is room for all of us to grow. And until Jesus returns or he calls us home, there is work for you to do. There is a journey that God has for you. And I pray that you would find out what that is. Now, Paul specifically is going to highlight some things for them because if the aim is to please God, if the aim is to never stop growing in that journey, then what Paul is going to do is kind of give us some, kind of some skin to that. He's going to help kind of map that out for the church. And so verse three gives us one of those things. Look at verse 3. It's God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality. He says it's God's will that you should be sanctified. Sanctified is a word that you are never going to use except in this setting right here. In fact, I rarely would use that word because it's a confusing word. What does sanctification mean? Sanctification means the process of becoming holy. Becoming holy. Now, some of you are like, what does that mean? The process of becoming holy means becoming more and more like Jesus. So if that word kind of... Kind of makes you kind of what does that even mean? What Paul is saying is, I want you to understand that it's God's will that you should become more and more like Jesus. That is God's will for our life. And one of the ways that you do that is the way that you handle relationships, the way that you handle your thoughts and your actions towards intimacy and relationships, specifically when it comes to how do you handle your body. Paul says you should look different than the world in that. Kind of, the way that you navigate through that should be different than the world. Now, sometimes if we're not careful, whether it's sexual immorality or some other myriad of issues, sometimes if we're not careful, our actions and our attitudes as followers of Christ don't really look any different than the world. And someone may look at us and say, well, you don't actually act different than anybody else who is, who is not following Jesus or not serving Jesus. And let me give you some examples, maybe how you treat people in relationships, Maybe how you handle your money, maybe how you treat that cashier at Kroger that was not very nice. How you handle that as a follower of Christ should be different than how someone else handles that. How you tip a server should be distinguishable from someone who is not walking with Jesus. Why? Because if Jesus is here, it should be lived out out there. If Jesus is here, it should be lived out out there. So we're all on a journey. And so I want to ask you a very pointed question. A question about where you are right now, and you see it up here on the screen, would my life be different if my chief aim was to grow in holiness? Would my life be different if my chief aim was to grow in holiness? For some of us, it wouldn't because our life is adequately reflecting that right now. We're a work in progress. We're not perfect, but we're seeking to grow in holiness every step, every day. But for some of us, it's it's probably a gut check. You know, would my life be different if my chief aim was to grow in holiness? Because go back to verse seven. What does he say? For God did not call us to be impure, but rather to live a holy life. Perhaps God is telling you right now there's some things in your life that need to be different. Or there's some things that you've held on way too long, trying to kind of look at them through the world standards. And God's saying, No, I want to help write that story for you. Maybe there's some changes that you need to make. Because God's call is not a call towards impurity, but rather a call towards holiness. Now back to verse verse 3, why does all of this matter? It all matters because it is God's will that you should be holy. It's God's will that you should become more and more like Jesus, or it's God's will that you should be sanctified according to this text. See, God has spoken that his desire for us is to know him more and more, for us to grow more and more like Jesus in this process of becoming holy. And at a base level, friends, this is how you understand what God's will is for your life. He says, this is how you understand God's will, is to grow in holiness. It was true for the Thessalonian church, and it is true for us here in 2021. Now, I have a strange suspicion, and it's been verified by many conversations that I've had in my adult life. In fact, including just this last week, That a lot of us want to know God's will. We want direction. We don't want to be wayward, but we gloss over the very thing that will reveal that to us. We have all these questions and we wonder, why is God not making his will known to me? Why is God not giving me clarity in that decision? And we kind of skip over the one thing that God says actually reveals his will to us. And that's a pursuit of holiness. And that's a journey towards discipleship. Sometimes you'll hear people say, I want to grow in an understanding of how God wants me to live. And you say, awesome, tell me how your prayer life is going. And sometimes they respond, well, I don't pray very much. Well, let's start there. Or sometimes you'll hear people say, I want to understand how to navigate through everything that's going on in the world, from the tensions to the unrest, to how to love people that are different than me. And I don't want to be frustrated because I'm just frustrated with everything in life, and our response to them is awesome. That's a great path forward. So tell me about your time in God's Word. How is your time in God's words going and sometimes You hit the response of, well, I don't really have time for that. Well, friends, if our chief aim is holiness, not perfection, but if our chief aim is holiness, some things in our life are going to have to look different. And there's some time that will have to be spent differently. There's some things that will have to be reprioritized in our life, but it matters. It matters according to the Bible. It matters both for our personal spiritual growth, but it also matters in the lives of other people. But a quick sidebar, and I have to say this, because we can't have a talk about holiness without making sure that we don't really clearly define what our pursuit of holiness is not for. Because this is a huge deal, and you see this played out all the time up here on the screens. Take a look. You do not strive for holiness so others will notice. You do not strive for holiness so that others will notice. You pursue holiness because God is pleased with it. You do not strive for holiness so that others will notice. The, the chief aim of holiness, why I'm talking about this, is not so that other people will notice how holy you are, but rather because holiness is an action and a discipline that God is pleased with. Look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 15 and 16. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do, for it is written, be holy because I am holy. The main reason that holiness is the goal is because it defines who Jesus is. He says, I want you to be holy just like I am holy. It is your pursuit in life. Go back to verse 8 then. Therefore, anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject a human being but God, the very God who gives you his Holy Spirit. And what Paul is saying to the church is if you reject all of this, you're not rejecting me as a human leader. You're rejecting God. You're rejecting God who sent the Holy Spirit, who sends the Holy Spirit as an advocate and a helper for you. So don't miss why we're celebrating God's goodness in this sermon series. We are not celebrating God's goodness. We are not talking to you about a pursuit of holiness. Paul was not talking to the Thessalonian church about holiness so that they could be better received by everybody else and so that they could be viewed as better than everybody else so they could believe that I have something that nobody else has because a pursuit of holiness, friends, it's really not about you, but it's about a pleasing discipline towards God. See, I'm so excited about the things that are happening here in our church, but everything that's happening in our church is really not about us. It's not about Rolling Hills Community Church. It's not about fill in the blank of any church in our town. What's happening with the body of believers, what's happening as God is on the move here in our community has nothing to do with whose name is on it. It's not about look at me. It's not about look at you. It is all about look at God and give him the praise and him the glory for what has happened and what has changed in your life. Now, the harsh reality, though, is that some of us, and I would venture to say, I would dare to say, there's probably multiple people in the room right now, that at one point in your life, and maybe even currently, you've been really hurt by the church or you've been really pushed away by the church because there was someone who was, quote, unquote, pursuing holiness and you got caught in the crosshairs. And instead of being treated in a loving, kind, compassionate way, you were treated in a way that didn't seem very loving. Maybe your whole life you were told how bad you were, or you were raised in a really legalistic faith tradition where it was all about rules, and we talked about rules all the time and why we follow all the rules, and we rarely talked about grace. That's a lot of our stories. And the problem when we only talk about rules and we only talk about grace is we begin to think that the change that happens in our life, the pursuit of holiness that happens in our life, is because of what we do. And it's what theologians would call works-based theology, where I am earning God's favor because of all of the things that I can do, all of the boxes that I can check. And friends, that flies in the face of what Jesus Christ came to do. Because Romans 5.8 says that Jesus died for us while we were sinners. Jesus didn't die for you when you were checking the boxes and doing everything right. He died for you when you were a sinner. That is grace in its truest form. And because of his grace... We pursue holiness, and because of his mercy, we seek to please him. Or maybe you're here and you're just kind of struggling with the hypocrisy that you've seen. Maybe you've seen hypocrisy in uh, other faith leaders or other followers of Christ who, who say one thing and they do another, or they're saying they're pursuing holiness, but you don't feel very loved when you're around them or whatever the case might be. I'm really acutely aware of how challenging that is. And if that is your story, I want to kind of unearth this for you because maybe if nobody's ever told you this before, do you want to take a guess as to who most of Jesus's critical teaching was aimed at? Most of Jesus's critical teaching, the teaching that we see in the Bible that's directed to you should not do this or you need to really get your act together, (laughs) most of it is aimed towards religious leaders. Most of it is aimed towards Pharisees. It's aimed towards people who thought they were being really, really holy, but in all actuality, they weren't. It was aimed at people who thought they were better than everybody else. It was aimed at people who thought they were untouchable, who thought, I can say whatever I want, and it doesn't matter what I do. I can hold you to a standard that I don't have to hold my life to. Jesus steps onto the scene and says, not today. That is not the way the church will spread. That is not the way the message of the gospel should spread. Spread. And it's exactly what Paul is trying to accomplish in this letter. He's saying, You don't strive for holiness, church, in order for everybody else to see how good you are, or for everybody else to notice how much holier you are than them. It pleases God. God is the audience. And if you live a holy life, I promise you, the God who flung the stars into space, He is pleased with your little life. And he receives honor and glory when you say, I'm not gonna let the world set my agenda, but I'm going to let God set my agenda. In fact, I don't think you ever should have to utter the words, I'm being really holy today. (laughs) I can't think of a setting that it would ever be appropriate to walk into and be like, "Mm, you know, I can't go to lunch with you guys. It's Holiness Tuesday, you know, or, you know, thank you for inviting me to that function with your friends, but can I see who all's there to make sure there's no sinners going to be there? You know, because I just want to make sure That, you know, that doesn't encroach upon my holiness. Those are phrases that I should never really utter. But friends, we should live and seek to pursue a life of holiness. Now, what holiness should lead to, though, is not us looking or thinking or acting or feeling like we're better than anybody else. But what holiness should actually lead to, Paul connects it up. Look at verse 9. Now, about your love for one another, we do not need to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. What do we see about holiness? Holiness should lead to me loving people. Holiness should lead to me understanding and seeing God's plan for other people. I see this quite frequently, that sometimes in a pursuit of God, we actually become less passionate about people. And I've said this a couple times at various sermon series, and I've never fully understood that, but it gets played out sometimes. And maybe you have seen it. Maybe you've had somebody who's yelling at you, and they're yelling at you because they're really, really holy, but you think to yourself, that didn't seem very loving. Something didn't match up. Because you said this really mattered, but how I feel in that moment is not, it it doesn't, doesn't match up with what I know. And I'm not talking about, I'm not talking about you know, moving away from truth or saying that there is no truth or anything like it, that because that's absolutely, absolutely truth, that there is truth and there's God's word and there's right and there's wrong. But it's always been very perplexing to me as to how we thought we could reach people by reminding them how much we hate them. I mean, think about it. Think about a business that you go into and you were going to a business and you thought, they just really don't like me and they must not want my business. Business must be going really, really well because nobody's nice and nobody's kind. That's not a place I want to do business anymore. That's not a place where I'm thinking, I can't wait to come and spend my time and my energy here. I mean, they make me feel like dirt when I'm here. None of us are going to move away from that. It's a really bad business model, as a matter of fact. But sometimes as Christians, if we're not careful, we can become less and less loving and less and less passionate about Jesus and Jesus working in the lives of others. So big picture for all of us. Up here on the screen, you see it. If your pursuit of God makes you love and want to be around other people less, something is off. (laughs) Base level. If your pursuit of God makes you love and want to be around others less, something is off because it just doesn't match up with the way that Jesus lived his life. Did you catch in all of the Gospels, the busier Jesus got, the more that you saw him carving out time to teach people and to be with people. When his disciples were trying to usher Jesus through the crowd, telling him, all of these people are going to want something from you, Jesus feels someone tugging the hem of his garment. And what does he do? He stops and looks her in the eyes. So as I pursue holiness, as you pursue holiness, be really careful that in that pursuit of holiness, I'm not caring less and less about people. Now, am I always going to get this right? Are you always going to get this right? Are you going to live a life of perfection? Holiness and perfection are not the same thing. Perfection is unattainable. Holiness is a journey that we're always on. Are you always going to get this right? No. Are there things as a church that we're going to get wrong? Absolutely. Are there things in your family unit that you're going to get wrong? Yeah. Are you always going to have all the answers? Are you going to ha- handle every situation perfectly and never make any mistakes? No. That, that's simply not a goal that any of us should be striving for because it's a, a perfect, perfect goal and we're never going to be perfect. But I never want it to be said about Rolling Hills Community Church, that those are people that are unloving. We may do some things wrong. I never want it to be said. That's an unloving group of people. See, your friends and your neighbors, they, they may not agree with everything that you do. They may not agree with your theology. They may not agree with your practices. They may not agree with the choices that you make. And that is A-okay. But if one of your friends or neighbors, when your name comes into their mind, if they think to themselves, that's a really unloving person, then... That's a problem, and that's something that you should lean into and something that you should seek to say, God, move me more towards you. I encourage you to never forget the role that you play as you love and you live out that calling. Now, what does that mean for you? It means seeing people as Jesus sees them. It means bringing the truth of the gospel into conversations, that life-changing gospel truth that is the answer, truly, my friends, for everything that's happening in the world right now. It's not Jesus plus It's not Jesus and it's Jesus. He is the answer to everything that you're facing in your life and the struggles and the things that we are enduring. And so it is our goal to proclaim Him and to bring that truth into conversations. It means loving and serving people is one of the greatest earmarks of what it means to be a deep and holy and sanctified person. See, a deep, holy follower of Christ is not someone who's going to be decreasing in their love for God and their love for others because Jesus clearly said those are the two greatest commandments. To please him and seek to love other people. So, what are all those defining characteristics? Paul mentioned several of them. All these things that we should seek to pursue, and there's so many, but in the as for other matters, you know, he highlights a few significant more, a few significant others, one of which is hope. And you see it here on the screen that a defining characteristic then of someone who follows Jesus is hope. That hope is a defining characteristic. As you pursue Christ, hope should be increasing. In fact, Christians should be the most hopeful people in the world. We really should because he saved us from eternal separation and he gave us a life that we didn't deserve and he gave us freedom when we were in bondage and when we were broken. And so on your little business card, under if you're a Christian, if you're here and you're a follower of Jesus Christ, one of your primary goals in life is to bring hope to people. It's, it's, it's why we exist, to bring that hope and to bring that joy. Now look at specifically how we have hope here. Go to verses 13 and 14. Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. A hard right turn. This is the as for other matters. Remember how he's, he's talking a lot, a lot of things. He's talking about encouragement. He's talking about remaining strong. And all of a sudden he's saying, you know, when, 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 when death happens, you don't have to, you, know, you don't have to. To stress about that, we do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope, for we believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. See, as a follower of Jesus, you don't mourn without hope. And sometimes the unbelieving world has no hope. And so the grief and the mourning becomes so overwhelming. You personally don't have to walk through life hopeless, questioning Does Jesus care? Maybe you've seen it before, a follower of Jesus that's going through grief. A follower of Jesus that's going through a difficult time, and grief hurts, and it's real, and pain and loss, uh, it's things that you carry with you for your entire life. So I'm not going to stand up here and say, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, that when a loss happens in your life, that you're not going to grieve, because that is simply untrue. But if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, there is a hope that you have, because you know that that's not the finality of the story you know that he is still good even when it hurts. And I think about the first century church, and I I think Paul is probably giving him a little bit of a nod here because this had real implications for the first century church being persecuted. It's almost as if Paul is saying, someone may show up at your door in present time and put you to death because of your pursuit of Jesus Christ. So you may have a chance to exercise this hope really, really quickly, just in all actuality, in all reality. And so then what? Paul does those, he says, in all of this, so you can have hope. But it's not just about in low moments or difficult moments. It's a 24-7 hope that holiness provides. It's not mushy. It's not this everything is going to be perfect attitude. But there's a sense of no matter what comes my way that God has got this and that my hope is in him. Do you really want to know how the world will stop and take notice of your faith? You stay strong when it's not popular to stay strong. Or you stay strong when everybody else says you need to give up. Or you stay strong when everybody else says you should throw in the towel because you're going through a problem and you say, oh no, I have hope in Jesus Christ. I don't know how this story gets written. I don't know what the next step is. I don't know how challenging it's going to be, but he is still on the throne and he will be with me in and through it all. According to scripture, those people shine like bright stars in the universe and the rest of the world looks at you and they say, I want what she has and I want what he has because there's hope. And what Paul does is he continues for the next several verses writing about the importance of hope, specifically when it comes to death, specifically when it comes to loss. But then he transitions to this kind of concept of building each other up. And then in chapter 5, verse 11, he begins to kind of transition out of this part of the letter, and he lands the plane, so to speak, on this as for other matters. And I want you to listen to what he says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 11. Therefore, I say it every time we see the word therefore. What do you have to ask yourself? For those of you new to Rolling Hills, this is one of my catchphrases. When you see the word therefore in scripture, you have to ask yourself, what is it therefore? Because therefore is not a word that should ever start a sentence when you don't know what's coming right prior to it. So everything that we've just talked about, the patience, the peace, the, the, the encouragement to grow in holiness, all of that, the hope that you have, therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just as, in fact, you are doing. Isn't it so cool that Paul kind of lands the plane by saying, and don't forget the power of speaking into people's lives and encouraging them. It's as if Paul knew something that we should all take stock in as well. Everything that you and I will do in life, all of the steps that we will take, that journey that you and I are on, one of the most beneficial things that helps us in that journey is what? The encouragement of other people. One of the things that helps you most in your journey is what? When people notice it and when people say, keep going. And when people celebrate with you and when people celebrate and pray with you and hold you up when things are going difficult in your life, there's so much power and encouragement and there's so much life that comes to us and that we're able to give to another person when we encourage them. Look at Proverbs 11, a generous person will prosper, but whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. If you want to live a refreshed life, maybe you want to leave this place and you want to say, you know what, I want this next year of my life, I want 2022, which can you believe we're almost heading into a new year? I want 2022 to be a refreshing year for me. Well, according to Scripture, those who refresh others will be refreshed. So maybe God wants to grow you in encouragement this year. Maybe that's the journey that He wants to take you on. Because what does encouragement do according to Scripture? It benefits both parties. And Paul knew that it was an action and it was a behavior that was worth coming back to time and time and time. Again, his mere words serve as an encouragement to him. You know what else I'm sure encouraged the church? Timothy's presence. When Timothy comes to visit and says, let me know how things are going. And he looks them in the eyes and he asks them questions and he lets them share stories about what God is doing in the church. See, it's so encouraging. And So in a pursuit of God, I hope that we'll all strive to encourage one another. Because Paul kind of sums up all of these other matters by saying this is really where it comes into practice when I encourage and build each other up. I said at the top of our message that we're quickly approaching Christmas. And because we're approaching Christmas, some of you are already stressed out. Don't be. You don't need to be. Maybe you've already got in your mind about I've got to get all the perfect gifts for everybody. And I like to remind you of this at least once every Christmas season or Thanksgiving season. So I'll go ahead and remind you right now. Um, it's a really crucial point. People are going to get tired of your gifts. I don't care how good it is. I don't care how nice it is. I don't care how expensive it was. I don't care how perfect you think it is. Why? Because they always come out with a new model. And the one thing that you were so excited about giving somebody, a year later, there's a new model that has new features and new functions, and now that one is obsolete. Your kids love toys on Christmas, don't they? But Our kids, they get tired of them by January or February. You think about the nice things that you buy for people. And I love gifts. I love to get gifts. If you want to bring me one, I'm not saying no (laughs) to this. But it's worth saying that those gifts have a shelf life. And I think where Paul is ending with this is when it comes to encouragement. And I promise you what you're about to see on the screen is really, really hokey. But if you're like me, you only remember hokey things. And if I put it in a hokey phrase, you might remember it. Encouragement, though, is truly the gift that keeps on giving. It is. Encouragement is the gift that keeps on giving. The shelf life of encouragement, never ending. Because it lets people know that you're there and that you care about them. It's why Paul and team keep coming back to it. It does something inside of us. I don't know where you are today. I don't know what it is that God's asking you to do. I don't know what part of that journey God is asking you to take. Maybe it's a next step that he's wanting you to take. and, And today will be the day that you take that step. If you'd like to pray with someone... After the service, you can make your way up here, and we would love to pray with you. As Jacob mentioned in our welcome today, you have that communication card. If you want to write something about a next step that you feel like God is asking you to take, or maybe there's a little box here that you want to check that you say, hey, I just want to talk to somebody this week about that next step, I promise you we will follow up with you. I don't know where you are, but I pray that you'll listen and that you'll be obedient and that you'll take that next step. Why? Because no matter where we are on our journey, we all have room to grow. So let's grow together, grow together into the men and women that God has called us to be, to be a community of believers that is filled with the love and the hope of Jesus Christ that goes out and proclaims his name and proclaims his goodness to our community, to our country, and to our world. I'm so grateful that you're here with us this morning. I want to pray for you, that God would give you the clarity in whatever step it is that he's asking you to take. Lord, thank you for who you are. God, you are so good to us, and I thank you that You've spoken to us today through your word and I pray that you would continue to encourage us, remind us that you're here and that you are for us and that you love us. I pray for the person in the room right now that's struggling. Maybe they've seen this lived out very poorly in the lives of others and they're struggling to believe, can it really be true that we can have that hope and that joy? And I pray that you would speak to their heart right now and remind them that it's so true. Jesus, you have changed everything in our world, in our life and so we seek to live for you, to proclaim you And with all of our breath and all of our days, God, we seek to grow in that journey, to point other people to you, and to be on the front lines of ministry and people's lives. We're so grateful again, God, for who you are. And it's in the powerful name of Jesus Christ that we pray. Amen and amen.
0: Thanks for listening to our Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast, part of the Rolling Hills Podcast Network, where you can find great podcasts like Making History, Parenting Podcast, Men's Leadership Network, RH Women's As You Go Podcast, and more. If you want to learn more about what's going on in the life of Rolling Hills, download our Rolling Hills app or visit our website at rollinghills.church. From there, you can follow us on Instagram and Facebook to stay up to date with what's happening and ways you can connect. We're thankful for you.